Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Land shelves and land masses. We talk about what we know for current history and biblical history. Let's talk about undersea kingdoms, kingdoms we know, and kingdoms we think existed and we actually know existed. We're going to merge all this today. I know I'm, I'm playing word salad with you here, but I want to talk about one kingdom in particular that doesn't get as much attention as maybe, say, Atlantis. I'm going to talk about Lemuria today with our guest, Justin McHenry. Lemuria. When I say Lemuria or Lemuria, we talk about lemurs, right? We know what lemurs are. But do we know anything about Lemuria or what do we know about Lemuria? We talk about land shelves and how lemurs got to our modern day country or how they moved or migrated. We got to talk about a land shelf, right? They didn't just swim everywhere. Things don't just swim everywhere. And we'll talk about that with Justin. There's different theories and different scientists who came into it. We'll talk about that with Justin as well. What I find fascinating is, is how we choose to deny certain things about history or what we consider fact or scientific fact for diatribes of religion or what we consider dogma or what we look at in a book that's thousands of years old and we choose to deny what's sitting in front of us as far as scientific theory goes. Justin's put out a remarkable book. It's jam-packed full of different scientific facts that have been accumulated throughout the ages. It's called Lemuria, a true story of a fake place. And it documents a lot of this history and a lot of these scientific facts. And I think you'll find it very, very interesting. I'm going to bring him in now. First, let's tell you a little bit about Justin. Uh, Justin himself is very interesting. He's a writer and historian who loves to find the little nooks and crannies in histories and the stories that live there. He brings them out right out in the open. He's done that with this new book. He's, his work has appeared in Belt Magazine, 100 Days in Appalachia, Journal of the American Revolution, Fate Magazine. He's also appeared in several historical journals. His stories have been syndicated in newspapers and have appeared in annual collections. And boy, I'll tell you, when you read this book, it is a smart book. It hits you with not just facts, but it's very entertaining as well. So first of all, I want to tip my cap as I bring in to Darkness Radio, Justin McHenry. Justin, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you so much, Tim, for having me. I appreciate you bringing me on. And so we can talk a little, about, little bit about Lemuria and um, have a good time doing it. Forgive me if I'm but butchering the name. I've heard it Lemuria, Lem Lemuria, Lemuria. Is it, how do you pronounce it? I call, I pronounce it Lemuria, if Lem I think about Lemuria. it, Lemuria. Lemuria. So, yeah, not Lemuria. Right, it wouldn't I be Lemuria, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So Because the, the animals didn't run the kingdom, so to speak, right? <laughs> At least as far as we know. Yeah, yeah. only, only, only in certain ones, only in, like, really in the, the New Age era did um, they bring about, like, these lemur-like creatures who... Um, who um, were on the earth and were, you know, seeding crystals for, you know, extraterrestrials for their um, spaceships. 
fuel for their spaceships. Boy, you so, just yeah. jumped right into it, didn't you? I you did, didn't, man. Yeah, I just go yeah. right straight for the crazy right off the bat, just, so don't worry. Just both feet. You just didn't yeah, even yeah. hold back there. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. I was going to build, but hey, why not? <laughs> well, it, it's a little um, appetizer for people. To, there you to, go. Yeah, to, I like that. To get them interested and to see what, what where um, Lemuria goes to. That's right. That's right. That Boy, that's a hell of a teaser, too. We'll get to that a little bit later. I wanted to, wanted to start a little a little slower here because as we know uh we can't exactly take a plane to this place anymore it's not like there's there's a destination you can't just go to delta book a book a ticket and go um but tell us whereabouts this kingdom supposedly is sitting okay it is right smack dab in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean. So kind of what um, Atlantis is to the Atlantic Ocean, Lemuria is to the Pacific Ocean. And um, actually, it almost started in the Indian Ocean, too. And so it's it kind of migrates itself. The continent migrates itself across the Indian Ocean into the Pacific Ocean. But most people um, who believe in Lemuria or believed in Lemuria had it right there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay, and it was a huge continent too. They, they, it was almost like the entire size of the Pacific, ranging um, like um, for the like Theosophist, it was almost butting up against the um, west coast of America. Really? Yeah, yeah. So that begs the question: so if it's butting up almost against the west coast of America, are there? indigenous peoples that are there and, and and are there people that are migrating off our shelf of what we consider north america onto there i suppose am i jumping ahead here or, or? a little bit because okay, well, okay. well tim you, you make an interesting point because that is the whole idea around lemurians within mount shasta in california okay and how they got there was um, the West coast of America was the East coast of Lemuria. And so when Lemuria sank, the, you know, Lemurians, some Lemurians, you know, went and dug a, a hole in or dug a tunnel or a cave or whatever inside of, um, Mount Shasta and lived there. And they had, you know, wild parties and we're doing a bunch of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll rewind a little bit. We get another. We get another little teaser. Yeah, a little little teaser there. A little little mm-hmm. little nugget for people to kind of chew on here. Where we we start from the beginning of the book, you start to talk about lemurs themselves. Yeah, and the actual animal, which are fascinating animals because they're not. It's not your typical monkey, ape, whatever it is. Give us a little background on lemurs, what they are, their existence, and why they're such a fascinating animal. Yeah, so lemurs are really fed. There's um, many different types of species of of lemurs, um, many different varieties of them. But I think one of the most interesting things is they all appear on Madagascar. You can't find a lemur unless they've been captured and and held in captivity in a zoo or something along those lines. But um, occurring naturally, they only appear on Madagascar. And so that's kind of... um, how the whole story begins is um, people, um, zoologists in the 19th century were trying to figure out how did these, you know, species um, arrive onto Madagascar. Um, and also like, and I mean, that's, that goes for all of these species on Madagascar, just because it's an, it's a large island off the coast of, uh, of Africa. And so um, there was much thought into, you know, how did, 
lemur-like species, because you find lemur-like species um, in South America, you find them in Africa, you find them in India, um, and elsewhere in like Southeast Asia as well. And so they're trying to figure out how did that migration happen or what, what was that migration look like? And so um, in that process, they came up with the idea of a um, land bridge that kind of connected all of these places and that would have accounted for lemurs um, getting onto Madagascar, but also their um, ancestors, you know, spreading out from all the different other points of the world. Which would make sense. I mean, you know, we, we've talked in the past about land bridges and you, you talk about, you know, when we, especially when we talk about, you know, from Europe and you talk about specifically when we talk Russia, Alaska, you know, you talk about land bridges or you talk about um, how different, uh, different, uh, I'm trying to find the words here, Justin, words is hard today. Uh, how different uh, species of people got to different, I don't want to say species of people. That sounds horrible, Justin. Jeez, listen to me, <laughs> Mr. White Power over here. Um, uh, how different, uh, how different people or different races of people got to different areas or how different people settled in different areas. Mm -hmm. um, one of the ones that, that fascinates me, and I know we're going to get off on a tangent here somewhere. I don't know if you've ever heard Timothy Hogan speak about uh, there's an island in, in Egypt where the Egyptian government has closed it off because they don't want you to see the uh, hieroglyph of an Aztec handing <laughs> something to um, an Egyptian. I'm trying okay. to remember what it is, what the exact, uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember, remember the name of the island. Again, I'm, I'm woefully, my, my memory is Swiss cheese today. Um, but they're saying, how exactly would you, uh, you know, would you accomplish this that an Aztec would meet an, an Egyptian, you know, mm -hmm. other than some sort of Stargate or travel or, or whatnot. But you talk about land shelves, you know, and, and, and we talk about how, you know, the earth probably looked different in, in those times and yeah. land shelves are completely an answerable way to put that puzzle together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and I would say that's how we got the idea of like, um, how, um, the shit now I'm blanking. Um, tectonic plates and yes. the shifting of yeah, the continents and, and along those lines it came from the same ideas um and also just looking at the um, picture of the globe and seeing how everything kind of sort of you know could fit together uh, into one you know puzzle piece now with that there has to come proof that these plates existed or that something had eventually sunk into the sea or that or that these things were here at one time. Now, who is there in this history that, in this history of ours, that's come forward and said, you know what, I think I can prove at one time there was this land bridge that, that the lemurs eventually got to Madagascar from here, or that, better yet, Lemuria existed in the Pacific. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a couple of people. So the, the one who pitched the idea of Lemuria in the first place was this he was actually a 19th century um, ornithologist. He was, you know, studied birds, but um, he took it upon himself to study 
the mammals on Madagascar. And he gave this talk. Um, and then like at the very end of the talk, he talks about lemurs. Um, and as part of that, he, he proposed that land bridge and he like the very last word, very last sentence was like, you know, let's just call it Lemuria for, for, um, you know, grins and giggles or whatever. And so, um, and that name just stuck with everything. Mm -hmm. And so going forward from that, um, he really influenced a lot of, uh, you know, like deep scientific thought in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And so when you have someone like uh, Alfred Wegener, who um, was really interested in the, the shape of the, the, the continents and how they all kind of, of um, drifted in and out. And so he came up with the idea of continental drift theory. Okay. Um, and the whole, and he, he called it like the whole, um, Indian subcontinent smashing into Asia and where, which created the Himalayans. He called that the Lemurian compression. And so right then and there, the whole, mm, um, you can see how Lemuria was right in the center of these like big, huge, you know, scientific, um, paradigm shifting events. Um, and there was also, you know, played a huge part in like the evolutionary, um, aspect as well. Uh, and getting, you know, humans to a point where they're evolving and getting on to um, moving off of, you know, their paradise around the world as as well. And so, um, so yeah, you have people like, you know, Philip Lutley Schlater was the, the 19th century zoo, uh, ornithologist okay. and um, Alfred Wegener. So you know, folks like that are the ones who are really responsible for creating the scientific um, idea for there being this um, Lemuria, like the scientific Lemuria. Now, around what time is the continental drift happening in the the uh, the uh, all this forming, and, and what age are we at as far as humans go that that this is happening? Yeah, so when how oh, I have to look at the, the book for the exact numbers, but when Madagascar, so the how they how they thought think it happened was Madagascar kind of peeled off with India, mm -hmm. and then when it bound when it you know crashed into Asia, it kind of Madagascar slipped off of um, India and then just slowly drifted down to where it is now, um, about a hundred miles off the coast of Africa. Um, and that happened, you're talking 55 or so million years ago. Okay. When that happened. Okay. So we're pretty young in our existence at that point. Yeah. Oh, okay. yes. Very, very, um, yeah. And like, we're, we're not looking like the species that we are yeah. today. We're, we're very much like, you know, um, one of the the very first offshoots of the you know the human evolutionary chain. Okay, okay. Uh, it's not like anybody's ro roaming around in robes and sandals and going, "Look at that mountain range," uh, <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, it's not a it's not a history of the world moment, a Mel Brooks moment, right? <laughs> yeah, nothing. Yeah, not not that we know of, at least yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although, give Mel Brooks time, I'm sure, Justin, uh, there will be uh, there will be something written. I think probably in the new series, right? Probably. Yeah. Right. There you go. Who knows? Who knows? Season um, three. Season three. Yes. Yeah. That that that'll take place probably there. So, 
how how is it then that as I struggled to to wrap my head around Lemuria here, so yeah, describe it a little bit for me here. So we've we've got we've got this this. I don't want to call it. A, it's not a kingdom because it, it doesn't seem like anything's being developed here. It's more like this plush land that's that's sitting here, and we've got wildlife here. And, and describe a little bit of the what it is that we, we're finding here in Lemuria. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of the, the crazy thing is like Lemuria very much is a place. Um, it's a blank slate for whoever um, whoever believes in it. So they can they can make it whatever they want to. They can put whatever they want to on there. They can put kingdoms, as many kingdoms as they want on there. And they have this really complicated lineage of, um, that goes back, you know, generations and generations, thousands of years. Um, but for the most part, uh, especially when you're talking about the scientific era of Lemuria, it is very much a paradise. They needed a paradise for basically human evolution for like the right ingredients for human evolution to happen. And uh, Lemuria gave scientists, evolutionists, Darwinists that opportunity. And so really when you have someone like uh, a a German scientist by the name of Ernst Haeckel coming through uh, and this idea of Lemuria is out there, he's like, that's perfect for, you know, for man's development from, you know, ape to human. Uh, and so he based he based his evolutionary theories on that um, development happening on Lemuria because um, for him it was out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. The Indian Ocean is a you know a beautiful place. The islands in the Indian mm-hmm. Ocean are are spectacular. It is a like a living paradise, and so it provided that right atmosphere for you know evolution to happen. And it kind of stayed that way with all of the other iterations of Lemuria. And okay. so even as it shifts out into the Pacific Ocean, you still have a very kind of tropically um, wonderland. It, it's, and almost every um, almost every person who like put forth the idea of Lemuria or their version of Lemuria had made comparisons to like the Garden of Eden oh, and okay. like, yeah, like um, the Garden of Babylon. And so just this very lush, wonderful place. Sure. Didn't Heichel kind of expound a little bit, of, not not just expound on Darwinism, but try to build on Darwinism? Oh, yeah. He was he was Darwin's like biggest hype man um, in the in the 19th century. In fact, I think uh, more people probably read Heichel's work than they actually read Darwin's work. And more people learned about evolution from Darwin or from Heichel. Um, just because he, he wrote a book called the history of creation, mm-hmm. I believe. And so it was a very, you know, it was a, you know, a scientific bestseller in, in the day for however, whatever that means for the 19th century, but it went through dozens of editions over 30 or 40 years. And so he would keep updating it and updating and updating with the newest and latest like developments in, uh, in evolutionary thought. And so because of that, I think it became a very popular work. Um, and, it, and it's in that book that he puts forth Lemuria as this um, evolutionary paradise for you know humanity. Also, you have going off of that was um, in Darwin's like first book where he put forth the idea of natural selection and all of that. He didn't go into human evolution. Um, okay. 
that didn't come to his like next work, The Descent of Man. Uh, but in between that period is when Heiko published the, the History of Creation. And it wasn't until, but that was originally in German. And so by the time it was published in English, Darwin had released his book. And even Darwin, in like a second edition of Darwin's work, he said, if if I had read Heichel's book, I wouldn't even bothered of, you know, writing The Descent of Man just because, you know, I think he I think he nailed wow. it. Like he, he, he hit it out of the park. So, wow. So even Darwin is a fan. So it was a, it was very so he was very much an influential figure. Um, and also because of that, too, because he was such a popular scientific mind of the day he would end up influence or becoming an influence on Madame Blavatsky and helping her kind of um, her ideas on Lemuria too. So, And she's an interesting character. We're going to get to her here in the second yeah, half of the program yeah. because we're going to get to more of the, uh, more of the juicier paranormal stuff uh, on, on the second right. half here. And you, you guys get the boring science stuff right now. So yeah, yeah we're going to stick around for the, the good stuff. We're indoctrinating you in the first part. And then we're, we're in, in the second half, we're going to give you the, uh, the juicy stuff. Um, I don't know why I said indoctrinating. That's more of a scientific deal. Um, so, with that, we, we get the we get the scientists that come out that are that are vehemently saying that Lemuria was there. It was, it's definitely this landmass that existed. It definitely was sitting out there in the, in the Pacific, and it was, I guess, Justin, for lack of a better term, it it was this scientific petri dish of of all types of species, but better yet. It was an untouched, unfettered example of how man had grown from what we expect was primal man to what we become now, or, or we think it was until it met its fate. But yet, we couldn't prove it. Oh, yeah. Essentially, right? It, it's, mm -hmm. it's all conjecture, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's... That is like the big reason why Lemuria kind of took off. And that's a great, you used a great term, the Petri dish, um, just because it's, it, it was that. It was um, so available for, uh, for people who came later, for like the, the theosophists and, and those, and the, the, those occultists and paranormalists and what, whatnot. Uh, it, it provided that like just blank slate for them to do just a playground. It can, it can be whatever they wanted to, to make it for themselves. And they did that too, which is kind of crazy. Was there any physical evidence for these scientists to say, other than a lemur, uh, to, to say, you know what? We know that this land existed. Here is a piece of it. We know that it came from here because. Um, I would say the only evidence um that you have is um with someone like um eugene dubois who was a dutch naturalist mm -hmm. and so he was very much a heiko disciple and so in the late 1880s 1890s he wanting to find that proof of human evolution and so he read the history of creation um and he was like okay let, 
our best chart of finding this missing link. That's where the term missing link comes from. You need to find, um, there was very much the idea that there needed to be fossil proof to prove evolution. That's mm -hmm. what, that's what was missing to like show off all of the Darwinist, um, deniers, um, to shove it in their face that, you know, you know, evolution is a thing. And so yep. they needed that proof. And so he went out to the Dutch East Indies um, onto Java and went looking for the the quote unquote missing link. And he kind of found any, you know, it's the crazy thing is he kind of found it. Um, he found like, uh, what was it? A skull cap, a femur and some teeth. Uh, and from that, he devised that there was this um, pre proto man creature. Uh, which he called, uh, oh, I am not going to uh, attempt the, the scientific name, <laughs> but it, it became Homo erectus, what we we know yeah. now as yeah. Homo erectus. Okay. And so that's kind of like the one of the only proofs that was um, kind of put forth historically for there being a Lemuria or like almost proof of a like the scientific Lemuria. Okay. With that, we're going to take our break. When we come back, we're going to get into how people took just that wisp of physical reality and started to run with it. Now we're going to get into the supernatural, paranormal, almost the imaginative part of Lemuria. And, and what was the eventual fate of Lemuria? What do we think happened to Lemuria versus what actually happened to Lemuria? We'll talk about that with our guest, Justin McHenry. Uh, after the break. Again, the book is out there right now and available for you. We have a link in the description of this program. The book is Lemuria, a true story of a fake place. And again, get the book while we're out in break. You're listening to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 
Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Justin McHenry. He is the author-researcher of Lemuria, a true story of a fake place. When we left you, we were talking about the real science behind the real place known as Lemuria, which was the continental, uh, the continental plate that contained life, contained wildlife that we know as lemurs, uh, and how they actually got to Madagascar. We were talking about a land shelf. We were talking about an actual, well, let's, let's call it what it is, Justin, an actual land that contained wildlife, potentially human life. Um, we don't know in what stage of, of man it was that was there, but but we'll, we'll take it for what it is. And the hypothesis that scientists had about this land. Now, let's shift gears, because where there is scientific hypothesis, there's, of course, paranormal stories. <laughs> they, they, they always come in pairs. Um, and they, they tend to always come in pairs. It's, it's amazing how, to me, it seems like when it comes to science, um, we want to follow it up with conjecture. We want to follow it up with, okay, but if there's, there's this fact here, well, then we have to imagine what could happen and what could be or what could follow. Why is that, Justin? I want to ask you your opinion on this. Not necessarily what I want to take. I want to take us out of the the book for a second here, and I want your opinion on this. Why is it that human beings need to imagine what the possibilities could be for something, as opposed to take the actual history and be satisfied with the history of something? Well, I think it's it, it leads to just the mundaneness of it all, right? Um, I think it's greater, like you, you said, the imagination. Um, it's greater to think about the possibilities of what, what could have been instead of just saying, you know, I'm, I'm in my closet right now recording a podcast. Like, let's, let's talk about like the absolute sexiest thing possible and, and, and get to it. Um, I would say I'll relate a story that, that kind of gets to this point, um, you know, a friend of mine, I wrote the book, it came out, he, he contacted me. Um, he didn't know I was writing about Lemoya and he told me the story about, um, how in the, in the seventies, he went and saw a psychic mm -hmm. and he asked the psychic, um, why do I have this deep connection with Stevie Nicks's music? Um, and the psychic goes, well, it's because you, you and her were married in Lemoya. Like you, you shared a life together on in Lemoria. And it, it just got me thinking, it was like, well, like, how can you compete against that? Like when you, you have this like one life where you're you're sitting there married to, you know, the great Stevie Nicks, and then you have this life where you're just, you know, who you are in this life. And so it's always greater to be with Stevie Nicks than it is to yeah. not be with Stevie Nicks, I guess. I guess yeah. That's not really a good analogy, no, no, but it's, it's, it's the a, best one that I could think of. It's a perfect analogy because, yeah. you know, we, we you've kind of hit it on the head there because, you know, we, we think to ourselves, what could be greater than what's actually there? Think about this for a second here, Justin. Okay, so we've been talking about this lush tropical land that had this this wonderful creature on it, probably had the beginnings of man. We're talking about scientifically 
the the beginnings of the beginnings of life. So the possibilities are endless. The, you know, you had the beginnings of certain uh, bacteria, the beginnings of certain plant life. Scientifically, it's it's a playground, right? Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, well, there the possibilities are endless. Yeah. So it's it's um, forgive me for saying this. It's a scientist orgasm is what it is, right? It's like, wow, it's everything everything you could ever imagine. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. If you could go back in time and you could drop biologists into the into Lemuria, they'd have a field day. If you could drop botanists in there, they'd have a field day. If you could drop any scientists in there, they'd have a field day. But you drop the average person into Lemuria, they'd say, well, where's the McDonald's? <laughs> you know, <laughs> You're right. How are we going to survive? This is really boring. Does my tech work here? Do I get a signal? Um, you know, to the, the average person, it's like, well, where's the aliens? Um, you know, there, there's not there's not a lot of there's not a lot of thrill to the average person if we present it the way we present it. But the minute you say, yeah, but you know what? They lived in caves and they could connect, you know, they connect, they could connect with extraterrestrials, man. Now we got a story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, it's an excitement factor too. And that's also getting back to what you said about the, um, scientists being excited about what it could be. Um, that excitement extended on to, People like Blavatsky and like Rudolf Steiner and like Annie Besant and C.W. Leadbeater. Um, and those people like picked up on that excitement and just ran with it, ran the ball with it. And also the scientists, the 19th century scientists aren't really weren't uh, as maybe disciplined as maybe current scientists are. They don't they don't show that like current scientists don't really show the excitement there. They're very technical and, and specialized. Um, you didn't really have that with the people like, you know, Ernst Heichel or uh, Alfred Russell Wallace and people, people maybe writing more generally, um, but being taken as um, scientific. And they were like the leading scientific on the leading bleeding edge of, of science at the at their time. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a different kind of era and 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 so science was just thought about differently back then too let's talk about some of those people you mentioned let's talk yes, about madame blavatsky let's let's bring her up first uh what a colorful character tell us a little bit about her yeah man she was um she was such a mystery uh, and she was Okay, so if, if people don't know, just a thumbnail sketch of her life. She was born in like the Ukraine in the 1840s, I believe. Um, lived this really, her teenage years, really thing. She fell in love. She didn't fall in love, but she married this this older gentleman named Blavatsky, um, and then almost quickly regretted it and like ran away from him. Um, and then she eventually she was going to live with her father because the the marriage wasn't working out. And so they sent her on a ship to to go and then she just ran off. And so for the next 20 years of her life, she was just wandering figure that just roving around the world, picking up um, like occult knowledge throughout the time. And she was um, supposedly entered into Tibet, one of the only you know, Westerners to ever go into Tibet. And that's where she learned her secret knowledge um, um, from the book of Dizan, Zizan. Mm-hmm. 
written in a secret language called Sinzar. Um, so she's she's learning all of this secret knowledge. And then she pops up in New York in the late 1870s or in the mid 1870s and teams up with a guy named Henry Steele Alcott. And they become best of friends and they um, form the Theosophical Society. And then so the Theosophical Society explodes. It becomes this kind of like um, 19th century version of, of uh, new new age um, thought. OK. Um, and then, yeah, and she just becomes this kind of worldwide known uh, alternative religious figure. Um, and also, like, in that process, she released a couple of books. Um, Isis Unveiled was her first book. Mm -hmm. And then her second book, um, The Secret Doctrine, which is really where she gets deep, 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 deep into um, the Lemuria lore and just a bunch of other stuff, too. It's really her kind of like... Um, manual or her, her, yeah, instructions or guidelines for alternative religious thinking. She, she dealt in different, different things, not just the, the, um, the Eastern religions, but didn't she get into different things like sex magic? She was into the Kabbalah at one time, wasn't she? Yeah, she was into Kabbalah. I'm not sure about sex magic. Everything I've read about her says she was, um, basically abstained from sex. Um, and that was a, a key principle of theosophy, if I'm not mistaken, like, okay. um, at least for the first couple waves of theosophy it was okay. very much there. Um, not supposed to be sexually active. Um, right, right. but yeah, every, like she was deep into like cabal and just like, she had a fantastic, just knowledge of, uh, occult history and all the occultists that came before her. So like, um, like Hermeticism and Rosicrucianism and, um, Elpheus Levi and, and figures like that. And so she had a, like a, a deep, like she, she learned it from an early age. Her mom was, um, uh, was like actually translating into Russian. Some of these figures as works and she would do that to help pay bills while she's roving around the world too. So how was she, she getting, she, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. How was she getting hold of some of this knowledge? I mean, especially as a female in an age where some of this, knowledge is meant only for males exactly like it's it's kind of crazy how she was was getting it um her grandparents who mostly raised her had apparently a large occult um, library that they kept in their house and so her teen years were like very goth okay. um and so she would just i guess to spend like hours and hours reading those those books and then on her travels she would pick up even more knowledge going about wow Interesting. Yeah. I mean, ahead of her time, that's for sure. She she really was. And like, um, I, I consider her probably one of the most like she is one of the most influential, maybe 19th century figures, just because what she put forward is still being felt today. Um, especially if you're talking about like all the woo and new age stuff, it, it can almost directly be tied back to her almost like to a T can be directly tied back to her and what she was doing. Um, she was bringing Eastern religious ideas um, to the forefront at a time when that wasn't, you know, happening at all. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's some, you know, cultural appropriation going on there, but 
she was still making that um, available to people that, that hasn't that hadn't been available before too so very very much an influential figure very interesting indeed some of the other players that were were coming up with some of these theories about Lemuria you mentioned some others uh, yeah Annie Besant and yes. Charles Ledbeater um they were they were they were a weird weird couple um both also like extremely fascinating um individuals leading like very full lives before they became engulfed in theosophy um and but they would do they had this thing where they would team up and do like almost i want to call it astral projections but they would like do past life regressions and they would just like shoot their souls back into the past and so in one of those sessions they shot their souls all the way back to lemuria and they brought back a, a basically their um their tale on how man evolved um and so they they talk about lemuria being basically the time of um the dinosaurs like the yeah cretaceous or jurassic period or whatnot because you know they're they're fighting fighting with dinosaurs or alligator like creatures um that's when you get uh, they came up with the idea of um basically ancient aliens um so these these enlightened beings coming down from the moon and mars in wicker baskets um landing on earth and and basically imbuing us with the with the knowledge to um our primitive selves to evolve into humans and so that's that's how the hu that's how human evolution worked for them was these you know moon and martian based uh peoples coming down and, and helping us uh, you know, on so justin when they say they came down in wicker baskets and helped us so to speak are they are they suggesting that there was some sort of interspecies breeding in other words did they advance the species Yes, exactly. That's exactly what they were saying. Um, and the ones that didn't um, advance, those are basically what became the the quote unquote lower races. And so you get a lot of uh, white supremacist um, ideas being being bandied about in those. Um, and that and that's because only certain races were, you know, were got to got to got to sleep with these um, heavenly beings. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. I, I mean, and and I, I don't know even know where to go with that. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's not too far off from what we. I mean, modern day what we talk about as far as alien human hybrids and and to this day about about some of the programs that we think are going on, but we still believe that that happens no matter what race is here on earth we believe that all races are are being taken and being used in those programs there's no discrimination in current alien contact however um but that that was that was formulated by them way yep. back then yep interesting so yeah they were um you'll you'll i found when i was doing the research and all this was happening on lemoy that's what they were um that's what Earth was at the time for Basant and Ledbetter was basically Lemuria. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how it ties into the whole Lemuria thing. So when I was doing research for Lemuria, it is surprising how much um, race plays into it. And because almost each iteration, 
Lemoria gets used as a way of either explaining how um, the white Caucasian Aryan race was formed and how it differentiated from the the other races, Mm -hmm. or it was a way of basically building up a kind of white supremacist idea for, um, for, I guess their own, cause it's nothing but white people um, coming up with these <laughs> ideas. And so it's, I guess it's helping them, um, with their own, I don't know, pitfalls or whatever. That is crazy. That is crazy. Okay. So earlier you mentioned Mount Shasta. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the theory that there are people or Lemurians living in Mount Shasta who comes with up with this, theory how is it how is it is it channeled from somewhere or how is it discovered and who discovers this oh so it is mostly put forth by a a rosicrucian by the name of harvey spencer lewis he was writing under the name wishar spinlay survey so that's just an anagram you can you know okay. switch the letters around and you get up there so he wrote a book called lemoria the lost continent of the pacific that came out in the 19 19- 30s the early 1930s um and so he was so he was the one that came up with the whole idea of there being lemurians on on and in mount shasta um but his he he was crafting the idea basically from this other man um a a guy by the name of frederick spencer oliver who had written a book it was published um only five or six years after his death so he never even actually published it in his lifetime but in his book, he was receiving channeled information from this um, Tibetan mystic guy named Philos. Um, and in his book, he talks about um, this reincarnated man living in California, meeting this Chinese mystic. And this mystical man takes him into Mount Shasta and he beams him onto Venus. And he has this you know magical mystery tour, basically. Okay. Um, and so that's where the idea really starts from there being these uh, uh, ascended masters living on or in Mount Shasta. Um, and so it's a very obscure book. It was not really popularized at all. It, it, the um, Oliver's book was um, A Dweller on Two Planets. Mm-hmm. It's, it became a little bit more popular, like more known in um, the esoteric world nowadays. But... Um, at, at the time, like in the 20s and then in the 30s, it really wasn't. But, you know, uh, Harvey Spencer Lewis took this idea of there being these ascended masters on Mount Shasta and kind of really ran with it. And um, he was doing he was he put the, he he put them on Mount Shasta and they've never really gone away. Um, and it, it was and it, it caused like a mini um, a stir where people started going to Mount Shasta and trying to find the Lemurians for themselves. Um, it got the forest department, forestry department um, in on it because they were the ones who were managing Mount Shasta at the time. And so they had to come out and release statements saying we've we've been over every inch of Mount Shasta and um, filmed it from above and all that. And we have not seen one Lemurian cities on there whatsoever. Um, and it got so bad. So many people were coming there and not finding anything that the, um, the organization that he was heading the um, ancient and mystical order of the Rosas Crucius um, had this really, basically they, they wrote an article saying that um, 
because everybody was there, they were messing up the um, Lemurians business. So they just uh, packed up and left and went down to Mexico. And so there are no more Lemurians on Mount Shasta. So, <laughs> so they took a vacation. Exactly. They're like, to. you guys messed up a good thing. And so we're not going to tell you where they are now. <laughs> of course not. No, but wherever they are, they're, they're probably enjoying uh, the sun, the surf and the sand and uh, probably having nice tequila shots. Yeah. So, well, they're very pale too. So uh, hopefully they're getting a good tan down there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, you had mentioned earlier too that with Lemuria, there's, there's, of course, we we had mentioned before that these aliens had come down and they had they had uh, not only are they part of a breeding program, but there's also something involving crystals or or seeding with crystals. What's going on with this, and who came up with this theory? <laughs> So yeah, that's a um, that's one of the more recent developments in the Lemurian story. Was it's being used for for these crystals, and that, so that's basically what it's known for nowadays, especially in the New Age world, is um, to get yourself a, a nice Lemurian crystal, which you can activate and you know have certain um, you know properties that that will be helpful for you. Okay, and so it kind of co- comes from um, this multiple combinations um so it's coming from these uh, these more radicalized you can see in each step how lemuria is getting more and more radicalized or um more and more i guess out there Mm -hmm. um kind of um just outside of reality but it's also um ties into a lot of what edgar casey was doing sure and not so much edgar casey himself um but after his death there was a slew of um, books being written by people who um, so the Edgar Casey Foundation and uh, I forget the name of the um, R um, his, the the um, Association for Research and Enlightenment. I think that's the the, his, the the organization tied around him. And so they got together and basically indexed all of his readings. And so when they did that, then people started going through and writing these books like Edgar Casey on Atlantis and Edgar Casey on what's whatever. Um, and so there was a book written from people going in and seeing what he had to say about uh, minerals and like the healing properties of minerals and crystals and all that stuff. And so that became a, a, a big book and kind of really um, re-energized this or re got people interested in, you know, crystals and, and minerals and, and things like that in mm-hmm. the 70s and, and 80s. And so it really took off this idea of how, you know, you can use crystals to for anything, basically. And so that that idea was out there. And then, you know, new age people um, in their new age people and their channelings and stuff like that were like making Lemuria more kind of like a battleground for wokeness almost. Sure. Um, and so you have that combination of this, this new kind of Lemuria is this place. And then you have this idea of crystals. And so they combine there in Lemuria and they get this kind of uh, uh, alienist um, conf- configuration of what Lemuria was and how, you know, crystals are involved and being planted here by extraterrestrials um, for them to come through and use basically as a gas station on their travels throughout the, the universe. Well, my understanding of, okay, so when, when from the different 
people that I've dealt with and crystal work and whatnot, when you when you get a crystal or or you're getting a crystal from somewhere, it's got to have an origin or, or, or a place of origin. So in order to get a Lemurian crystal, I've got to think it's got to originate from Lemuria. But in order to originate from Lemuria, you have to know where it exists. You have to mine it from there. You have to bring it here. And then, you, you, of course, you have to have it manufactured. Who's going to Lemuria, Justin, in order to get crystals? What's funny is, like, so it's the, the alien. In this one, the aliens are the Lemurians. Okay. The Lemurians are coming here. They're seeding the, the ground. Um, what's kind of funny is, like, so most Lemurian crystals today are coming from Brazil, like Brazilian like crystal mines and like brazil mm -hmm. never enters into the lemurian lore, lemurian lore in, in whatsoever really okay. and so it's kind of funny that lemurian crystals are coming from a place that's not even associated with lemuria <laughs> i uh, yeah i'm confused on that deal but i still want to find one though I, I have not yet run into a like in the wild a true lemurian crystal so hopefully soon i will find one and and be the proud owner of a nice Lemurian crystal. I'm, I've never run into one either. Are they valuable? I mean, do they charge a lot for them? They charge a little bit more than your typical. So a Lemurian crystal is just a, basically a. a it's energized uh, different, right? Yeah. It's just a quartz crystal. It's just a, yeah. like a, like a phallic quartz crystal, basically. Okay. Um, that has the striations running up and down. So it's. There's, there's nothing really special about it other than the idea that it comes from Lemuria. So with this Lemurian crystal, am I supposed to be able to contact these aliens that, that at one time had contact with Lemuria? Am I supposed to be able to get a hold of my Lemurian ancestors? Am I supposed to be able to find out if I had a past life in Lemuria? What am I supposed to be able to do with this thing? I don't think... I think the this the sky's the limit there, Tim. I don't know why you would have to, you know, limit yourself to even that. You can you can do any and everything you want with a Lemurian crystal. Hmm. Um, I think mostly it's for like spiritual healing and and becoming okay. more, um, you know, more, more present in the now, maybe too. So yeah, but you can you can be more present in the the Lemurian now. I don't know why you <laughs> why you have to be. I, could I lure a lemur home with it? Because I kind of like to have one in my house. I mean, exactly. give it its own room. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know. Is it dangerous to have a lemur in my house, Justin? Probably. It is It is only because, um, especially with ringtail lemurs, yeah. they are the I, only species that have a, what, a, um, basically a matriarchy. So it is the only one where the males are supposed to be subservient to the females. And oh. so... Um, if you have a female lemur in your house, then, well, you know, better, better get used to doing all the chores and doing everything for, for them. That's too. pretty much my life, Justin. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah. It, nothing would change around here. That's for sure. <laughs> it's just Let's saying. be you then. Seriously. <laughs> just saying. Uh, so what lessons are we learning from Lemuria as a, as a current society? I mean, is this much like Atlantis? I mean, there was kind of a, there was kind of a, for lack of a better term, kind of a moral to the story. Uh, mm -hmm. What is it we're learning from Lemuria? What, what, what should we be le learning from Lemuria? 
Well, the, the big thing I learned from doing the book was just like how a alternative narrative forms. Um, and so it, it's really was interesting for me to see how something that went from so being so serious to just going to bonkers so quickly and, mm-hmm. and staying bonkers now. And so just tracking that and seeing how a kind of alternative narrative forms um, was real was one of the most interesting aspects for me. Um, and now today, Lemuria um, is more of a, like a, just a, like a new age spice that gets, gets thrown in with a, a lot of different things just to give themselves a little bit more street cred. Okay. So um, I think there was the uh, uh, Amy Carlson and the love has one um, cult that she formed. Uh, it was a, uh, what a, a max documentary came out about her a couple months ago. Yep. So, um, so yeah, she, one of her, her backstory was she was a Lemurian queen one time in her, in her life. And so it's, you see Lemuria popping up now as just sort of that. And also if you go on like 4chan or 8chan or whatever, mm-hmm. or Acoon, um, you see Lemurian popping up as basically an example of what happens when, you have woke culture um, and it destroys a society. And so that's, that's what happened to Lemuria. It was, it was destroyed by you know, these, these woke forces. Got to ask you this, Justin, in all reality, when you look at the time frame that Lemuria actually was above water, we'll put it that way, uh, to the point where it disappears off the face of the earth, what's the reality that there was actually a hierarchy, a kingdom, actual governmental systems, uh, or even humans that spoke a language on that that piece of property? I would say zero. Um, (laughs) um, Like such a place probably never even existed. If it did exist, it was little little bits of, of land poking out of, you know, the the area in between in the Mozambique channel in between Madagascar and uh, Africa. Mm-hmm. So um, and it happened so way, way, way before there was even, you know, proto humans. They were they were so far along the, the evolutionary chain. It wouldn't even, you know, been considered a human, too. So, yeah, I would yeah say zero to negative zero. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm thinking too, but it, it, it uh, it's kind of like Lemuria to me is kind of like the, you remember the aliens from Metropolis, you know, how, mm-hmm. how everybody had a stylized idea of what a, an Android or a robot looks like in, in the twenties and thirties. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden we came up with a different idea of what an Android <laughs> or a robot looked like. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a stylized idea of what science fiction looked like or what, you know, we, we, we come up with an idea of what outer space should look like or what, what science fiction should look like. And then we change our idea. Um, Lemuria kind of has that, that, that idea of what, uh, you know, a, a kingdom should look like. And then in a, it's like a snapshot of time of what, of what um, the paranormal should look like or a snapshot of time of what uh, past life regression should look like. And, oh yeah, definitely. You know what what that what that era thought we should be, um, or what we aspired to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then we move. But it's an interesting snapshot, that's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah definitely it is. You know, um, it's it's like 
it's like where lost continents go to like let their hair down and get a little crazy. Lemuria yeah. is, yeah. and it's, it's 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 fun in that in that aspect. It's where you know like the the cool kids, the cool lost continents hang out is is on Lemuria. Yeah, you're right about that. Atlantis is very buttoned up. You know, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's the systems and the technology and governments and and you know everything is very prim and proper. Lemuria is kind of uh, it's kind of punk. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. like, you know, you have Cyclops there. You have little jelly sack filled beings walking around there from some things. You have moon baskets with like coming down to, you know, party with you. Like who wants who doesn't want to be there and like have that? You, you're married to Stevie Nicks, apparently, too. So like <laughs> that's true. You are. Why can't we all be on Lemuria? That's right. To find out more about Lemuria and some of the stories that Justin's talking about, again, we, we only scratch the surface on purpose because I want you guys to check out this book. And I want you to check out some of the crazy things that some of these researchers thought. I mean, there's there's some of these paranormal researchers that had some amazing theories about what was actually going on on Lemuria. And, of course, Justin has some of the uh, 411 about what was going on scientifically on Lemuria as well. Uh, it's all in this book, this great book. It's called Lemuria, A True Story of a Fake Place. It's available right now. Um, and, and we have it right now in the description of this program. You can click on that link. Go get that book right now. Justin, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Tim. It was great talking with you. It was Thanks great for having me on. Great talking with you as well, my friend. Thank you. I want to thank Justin McHenry for being on the program today. Lemuria, a true story of a fake place is available right now. And it is in the description of this program. Go ahead and click on that link and get yourself a copy of the book again we just barely scratched the surface today with the information that's in the book you can find out everything from the science of what lemuria actually was to some of the more paranormal stories of what lemuria is or people think it is to some of the more outrageous things that lemuria is and i tell you some of the stories are definitely that definitely very outrageous and you're going to want to see some of the lore that is lemuria as well Folks, as I was sitting down today to edit today's program, you probably have been hit with the news out of Kansas City about the the shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Championship Parade uh, to celebrate the Super Bowl win. And by now, as you're listening to this, the, the tolls are probably up above what I know as of this point when I'm editing, which is that Over 20 people are injured, one person has died, and they have three people in custody. Now, I'm not going to make any political statement about this, of course. I'm not going to make any big grandstand about this. Um, I'll just say this. And that is, I think we're getting a little tired of throwing up prayers, although they do work. Prayer does work. And I do encourage you to pray for the people that are still in the hospital right now, and to pray for the, the family of DJ Lisa Lopez, the poor woman who lost her life in this, who went out to celebrate the Chiefs' victory. That's all it was, to go out and celebrate a Chiefs' victory, to have a little fun on a a Wednesday, on a Valentine's Day of all things, a day that's supposed to be about, even though some people think it's just the commercialism of love, a day that's supposed to be about love and ended up losing her life. For what? 
That's what we're trying to get answers for right now. There's some curious things about this case, very curious things about this case that I want you to look at in the coming days. At the press conference, which was held just a few hours after the actual event, the police chief of Kansas City came forward and she said the federal government had offered to help immediately. That kind of raised an eyebrow to me, which, I mean, federal government offers to come in and help in major cases like this quite often. But it was the way she put it. I mean, the FBI and the DOJ are mobilized immediately on this, a Super Bowl parade. Immediately. With these three suspects in custody. Now, if this were gang warfare or something that was a little mundane, you wouldn't think the DOJ would be called in or even, you know, or even the FBI. It would seem like something that local task force could take care of and clean up and, and could be taken care of quite quickly. So obviously some, somebody knows something somewhere. The other thing that's quite odd about this case is if you were watching local coverage like I was, and I'm not in Kansas City, but luckily ESPN had local coverage out of Kansas City directly after the shooting had taken place. As they were clearing people out of Union Station about half hour, 45 minutes after the shooting had occurred, and there was nobody left on the streets around Union Station except for emergency personnel. They were putting snipers on the roof of surrounding buildings. Why? There's something very unusual about this. I'll throw that in your conspiracy hat for now. One thing to think about this weekend. The other thing I want you to think about is this. Like I said, I'm a little tired of throwing prayers up every time something like this happens because it's a weekly occurrence now. Here's the thought I leave you before the weekend. It used to be that as a community, we had each other's backs. There was an instance of that today. Thank God there was an instance of that today because more people could have been hurt, more people could have been killed. If you listen to the reports or believe the reports, there was a group of fans that actually took down one of the shooters. Now, law enforcement officials out there would tell you that's dangerous. Don't do it. If you see somebody with a gun and they're firing into a crowd, the first thing you should do is get away, especially if you're not armed. But somebody saw people in danger and ran to it. They ran to it. Much like the brave men and women of the Kansas City Police Department and their associates did today. Now, I'm not saying you should do that, especially if you're not trained. You're probably going to lose your life. That would be an asinine comment on my part, and I'm not, I'm not co-signing on vigilanteism here. What I'm saying is this. We can all do our own part, and here's what our own part should be. Our own part should be this. Why should it come to people shooting into a crowd at a Super Bowl parade. Seems to me that we can stop this type of evil before it even starts. When was the last time you checked in on a troubled teen on the block? 
When was the last time you checked in on your own family, maybe troubled members of your own family who look like they're going the wrong direction? When was the last time you took somebody under your own wing? When was the last time you volunteered to be a big brother or big sister? When was the last time you just checked in on someone, period, who looked like they were down and out and having a bad time in life and just offered to hear them out? There's a lot we can do that we choose not to do. We choose not to be that light in the darkness because it's inconvenient. We need to stop avoiding things because they're inconvenient and start making an effort. The greatest generation made that effort. They went above and beyond, not because they enjoyed it, not because it was a great thing to do, but because it had to get done in order to get through trying times. They recognized that if they didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done for them. Nobody was going to do it for them. We've developed an attitude in our country, and this isn't a political stance. It's a human stance. That somebody else will do it for us. Well, if we don't do it, a machine will do it. Well, if we don't do it, well, somebody else will take the lower paying job and do it for us. Well, I won't do that. Somebody else will do it for me. I can hire somebody to do it for me. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. That's the wrong attitude, folks. Nothing gets done in life unless we take accountability and responsibility. That's what we're lacking in this country. Accountability and responsibility. It's time for us to clean up our own mess and then look around and see what other messes are lying around and ask, can I help? Can I help you? How can I help? That's how we show we care. And we need to start caring more. We need to start caring more about our neighbors, our friends, our families. We're all in this thing together. As much as we talk on the show about blasting off to another planet and having another place to live, sorry, that ain't coming in our lifetime. You may think we may be able to blast off to another world just 37 light years away and find a Goldilocks zone to live in. It ain't coming. Let's focus on what we have here now. Be a light in someone's darkness now. Want to do something for your buddies here on Darkness Radio besides downloading in a timely basis and listening to these shows or visiting our sponsors? Well, here's what you can do for us this weekend. For the people of Kansas City this weekend, besides sending that energy and praying for the, the victims of the people in that parade who might be struggling for their life right now or trying to heal from a traumatic day, Check in on the people around you. Do you see somebody struggling? Volunteer to listen. Volunteer to help. It doesn't take much time or effort. You don't have to change their life. You don't have to overturn the apple cart. Just volunteer to listen. And if it's over your head, turn them over to somebody who can help. That's it. You may be avoiding the next huge catastrophe by helping somebody who may need that essential help. And I'll leave it at that. I'll just add that I love each and every one of you guys, and I really do appreciate you listening to this program. It's been a stressful week, hasn't it, folks? 
let's uh, let's lighten it up this weekend. Have a good weekend. And you know what? We got a great week of shows coming up next week. We'll see you back here next week for the best in paranormal programming. Let's keep Kansas City in your thoughts and prayers and send them some good energy. And we'll see you next week for the best in true crime and paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. 
That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.